0: We're here wrapping up Jeremiah. I, I wrestled with actually giving this sermon, and, and I feel like as it took form over the last couple of weeks, I feel like it's been maybe my favorite in uh, the conversation that we've had because I think this wraps everything up. And it brings everything to a point. And, and, and the point from the beginning has been that we need to be shaken out of our dull moral habits that we've created for ourselves. We need to be reminded that there's a real and powerful God who desires to do his best work in the world around us, and he wants to use us, but we're often not the willing participants, and and God is inviting us to be willing participants, that Jeremiah is a strong reminder that life is hard, and God's mission is uh, powerful, and he gives us the strength to do what he's called us to do if we will willingly say yes. And so, as we've been looking at Jeremiah, a, a little bit of a recap, we started looking at the reality that Jeremiah had been called to be a prophet to the nations. Now we know through the story, he never visited the nations, so his impact was powerful in a world without self-service. Uh, he was able to spread the gospel to the nations, so God fulfilled that through him. But when he was initially called, his immediate response was, no, he protested, I'm only a boy, I'm only a youth, I can't do it, I can't do what you're calling me to do, and yet God promised to make him an iron pillar. He gave him a message to deliver to the nations and promised to give him the words and the strength to deliver it. And as you look back over Jeremiah's life, you see that he's doing that. He did that, that Jeremiah was given the God's words, and he delivered them effectively and powerfully, and yet he was called to pronounce God's judgment on his people. So I don't know if you've ever been like, chosen to be the one to deliver the bad news, but it's never good. Like, if you're the one that has to give the bad news to someone, uh, the, the whole phrase of, you know, don't kill the messenger was created because someone killed messengers. And, and we're like, don't, don't do that. Because when you deliver bad news, you're not ever liked. And Jeremiah's whole life was about him having to be the messenger. He was the guy that had to deliver the hard news that God Really cared about his people so much that he didn't want them to live a life of sin and disobedience. And there was a consequence to their consequences to those sins. And if they didn't repent, he was going to have to be truthful to his word and he was going to follow through. And, and God didn't want to deliver consequences, he wanted to deliver blessings, and yet people were disobedient. And here Jeremiah is stuck in this uh, in between of delivering God's message and, and everyone despising him for it. I mean, after several years of preaching, Jeremiah's family turned against him. And, and they even plotted to kill him at some point. He, he, over the years he was whipped and he was put in chains and he was uh, ostracized and spit upon and threatened and, and ridiculed. His name was drugged through the mud and everybody walked on the opposite side of the grocery store aisle when they saw him because nobody wanted to be in contact with the guy who was delivering the bad news. And when you don't like the message, you're never going to love the messenger. And the reality was people saw Jeremiah's message, God's message to Jeremiah, as doom and gloom. They saw it as evil because anytime you're immersed in a lifestyle that you want to stay immersed in, you don't want someone to remind you that you shouldn't be immersed in that. And I think if Jeremiah were here in our current state of affairs and our current culture and he was calling us to morality, he would be ostracized, he would be spit upon, he would be killed because we don't want to hear that we're sinners and we don't want to be told to obey. We want to be left to do as we please, live the way that we want And so Jeremiah keeps stepping in the gap between God and his people and saying, we can be better, God desires more for us. And though many of his people saw his message as doom and gloom, it was actually a message of hope. And it really just depends on your focus. What is your perspective? For people who are living in sin and wanted to stay in sin, they saw this as a threat to their identity Uh, But to the people who desire to live righteously, they begin to see this as hope. Jesus hadn't come yet, and yet God was saying, listen, in the midst of your sin, if you'll just turn, I'll actually deliver you hope. I'll actually still have a plan for your life. But worst of all, for Jeremiah, or best of all, depending on how you look at it, Jeremiah was alone. He wasn't allowed to marry. He was by himself. He was just there out doing God's work with little support. And he was standing on the forefront of, uh, of pushing back the cultural tide towards sin, and, and his family had left him. People had turned against him, and the cost uh, of following Christ in thought, word, deed, and action was great for Jeremiah. He was 40 years spent delivering God's message, 40 years spent calling people to righteousness, 40 years condemning false worship and social injustice and calling people to repentance, and all the while people hated him for it. They despised him, and they didn't believe him, and they threatened his very life. And yet, every step of the way, Jeremiah did not back down. We don't find any account in scriptures where Jeremiah uh, stopped or slowed down. And after spending 40 years proclaiming the truth, in warning of God's judgment and, and being ridiculed, we find a moment in Jeremiah 39, 40, 41 that feels to me like vindication. Anybody love vindication? Do you love being right? The only thing better than being right is getting to tell other people that you were right. I love, like I told you so, I don't think people like hearing it, but I love to be able to say it And there's this moment where Jeremiah spent 40 years proclaiming the truth, people hating and ridiculing, doing their own thing, being in sin, and all of a sudden it comes to a head where we find that it looks like vindication. The moment occurs, the fall of Jerusalem is is, is happening. They're just about to escape, and things are at their darkest. And in Jeremiah 39.1, it says, In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon advanced against Jerusalem with his entire army and he laid siege to it. In context, we find that the city had fallen to the Babylonians just as Jeremiah had said it would. It's his moment to go, I told you guys this was going to happen. And all the people were rounded up and they were taken into exile. Just as Jeremiah had said, it was his moment to go, look guys, I called this Give me some credits. The lies of the false prophets were exposed. Jeremiah's integrity was confirmed. And it was a big moment for Jeremiah only. He was caught up in the exile. He was chained and and imprisoned with all of the other people And he was marched some 700 miles across the the plains of Babylon and the hot plains and and he was marched across with an army and and there's this big uh, caravan happening going towards Babylon where all of these people were now being captive and and they were being sent to Babylon and, and this big huge marching army is pushing them that way. People are chained and five miles outside of the city they stop. And something interesting begins to happen. The Babylonian captain, we're going to call him Neb because there's a lot of names today that I just didn't want to have to preach, but we're here. Uh, Neb gets word from the king, Nebuchadnezzar, not to be confused, two different men, three letters of the same in their name. There's this idea that he stops. It wasn't an idea, it was the reality stops. Neb gets word from Nebuchadnezzar that says, I want you to halt in Jeremiah 40 verse 2. It says, the captain of the guard took Jeremiah and he said to him, the Lord your God decreed this disaster on this place. And the Lord has fulfilled it. He's done just what he decreed. Because you people have sinned against the Lord and have not obeyed him, this thing has happened. Now pay attention. Today I am setting you free from the chains that were on your hands. If it pleases you to come with me to Babylon, come, and I will take care of you. But if it seems wrong to you to come with me to Babylon, go no further. Look, the whole land is in front of you. Wherever it seems good and right for you to go, go there. Jeremiah is caught up; he's in chain with all the people that hate him, all the people that he'd been prophesied against. They're all marching. They stop. The the captain says, "I got a word from the king." He says exactly what you prophesied was true. He's saying this in front of all these people. They're all hearing that Jeremiah was right. He says, "I'm captivating all these people. They're all being exiled from their homeland, except for you. You get a choice." You can go to Babylon, or you can go back to Jerusalem. Or you can go wherever you want. He says, I don't care where you go, you're, you're a free man. Jeremiah singled out of the crowd, singled out from all the exiles, given a message from the world-conquering king Nebuchadnezzar, only a half-day's trip away from Babylon, and he's given a choice. And in Jerusalem, he could have gone back to a land where he was mocked, or he was hated. He was ridiculed in the streets, rocks thrown at him. People despised him, taunted him, humiliated him. Or he could go to Babylon. And we're told in Scripture that if he chooses Babylon, he's going to be well cared for. He's actually going to be held in high regard. There's no change, there's no deprivation. He'll have food, he'll have a stipend to eat, he can live wherever he wants, he'd be protected. And he would never have to be humiliated again. Or he can go to Jerusalem, the city that is now war-torn. It's a shell of itself. The life would be starting over, and it would be brutal. Many of the buildings were probably burned down, and people were killed in the streets. And, and this war-torn area had nothing to offer him, except he had one friend, this guy named Gedaliah. Gedaliah was a, a, a counterpart. and He was left in the city, most likely given the same choice. We don't know if through Scripture, but theologians believe he was given the same choice as Jeremiah, go or stay. But if you stay, he was given the opportunity to be governor. He's in charge of Jerusalem. And so Jeremiah has a choice. He can go back with Gedaliah, son of Shaphan, and, and, and he can help rebuild Jerusalem to honor Christ. Or, or he can go to Babylon. And it's here in this story that we find this possible movie-like ending where Jeremiah, roughly 65 years of age, should see this as a really easy decision. Do I want to go to Jerusalem, start all over? People hate me there. It's going to be hard. I don't even know if there's food or water. Or do I want to go to Babylon? I could be sitting at the king's table. I could be eating. I could enjoy the riches that I've never had up to this moment in my life. He could have easily looked at his life and been like, I've earned this. This is my blessing. This is the payoff. This is my easy retirement that I've deserved. His life in Babylon would be a lot simpler. And he wouldn't just live, he would live an honorable life, honored by the king. This wasn't a hard decision to make. If any one of us in this room were given the choice, don't want to go to luxury or don't want to go back to the slums, we're going to go, I'll take luxury all day. And we spiritualize it, don't we? Well, this is what God wants for me. Because God wants all of us to be rich and happy and, uh, and want for nothing. And, and so we would look at this choice and go, well, obviously this is the clear decision. This is God's blessing. And many of us, when faced with this opportunity, go, I can slow down. I don't have to work as hard. I don't have to struggle as much. I don't have to live as faithful anymore. I can just enjoy the fruits of my hard labor. And the opportunity to retire early is really tempting. Even better, the opportunity to say, I told you so to everyone. Sitting at the king's table, chewing on like a big turkey leg, overlooking the, all these people who had been in captivity and, and been throwing rocks at him and hating him and trying to kill him. He'd be like, look at you and look at me. And all of us, all of us, if we're honest, would go, that sounds like the life that God wants for me. That sounds like the best possible outcome. And the story could have ended there. He could have gone to Babylon, and none of us would have judged him for it. History would have looked back. We'd look at Scripture and be like, yeah, he deserved that. He put up with a lot for 40 years. He was faithful, and God blessed him. And we could be prosperity gospel preachers, and we could tell other people, if you do this, then you're gonna receive the same reward. It would be fantastic. We make an argument with God. Ourselves, where we go, I've paid my dues. I've volunteered enough, I've given enough, I've sacrificed enough. Well, let's look what others are doing. They're not doing near as much as me. They're not, they're not doing what I do. I've deserved this. All those people listen to me. I've tried my best. This is what God wants for me now. But is it? Is that what God wants for us? See, when I look back at scripture and I see men and women of faith who lived faithful lives to God, I don't find moments where they stop. In fact, many of them, if not all of them, were faithful till death. Some of them killed early. Some of them killed brutally. Some martyred. I look back and I see that some of the few of the lucky ones were taken up from heaven and chariots and things, but most were just faithful until they died. And I wonder why in our American gospel we've decided that our faith has to be up and to the right. I have to of trust in God and then I get more money and I get a better position and I get more stuff and I get a better life and it's easier and more cushiony and I don't have to work as hard. And Why do we think that our cultural life where we work to 65 and then we don't have to work anymore, do we think that that falls into our faith life where we just serve and then all of a sudden we don't have to anymore? See, that's not God's best for us. That's not even his desire for us and it certainly wasn't for Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 40 verse five, it says, when Jeremiah had not yet turned to go, Neb said to him, return to Gedaliah, son of Achim, son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon has already appointed over the cities of Judah, and stay with him among the people. Or go wherever you want to go. So the captain of the guard gave him a ration and a gift and released him. Jeremiah therefore went to Gedaliah, son of Achim, at Mishpen. And he said with him, stayed with him rather, among the people who remained in the land. This guy gives Jeremiah some money. He gives him a gift. He says, go anywhere you want. I'm off the grid. I'm gonna go find a nice city. You know, see you later. I've won the lottery and I've disappeared. I'm gone. Jeremiah goes back. What inside of his mind caused him to want to go back into this hardship? Why would he gravitate back towards this life that he had so harshly lived. See, what I think is true about Jeremiah is that he wasn't ready for retirement. I don't think he was ready to stop living by faith, I don't think he was done. I don't think he bought into the idea that in order to follow Christ, you have to receive some kind of monetary reward. I don't think he was uh, unwilling to start over again to rebuild Jerusalem, to be a community that's built on Christ. I think he chose the outcast, He chose the rubble. He chose the poverty. He chose to live alongside Galileah and to work hard again from the beginning. So I wonder what it looks like for us to live by faith. I know it's easy to look at other people's lives and go, well, yeah, they're a missionary. They left and they're living by faith. Or, oh, yeah, they're this and that. And and, and, and Jeremiah, it's easy to see his faith. What does it look like in your life and mine for us to actually live by faith? What sacrifices are required? What hard decisions do we need to make to ensure that we don't slide into comfort over God's calling in our life? For Jeremiah, it was impossible to confuse social status with God's favor. He didn't see God's favor as going to Babylon. He didn't see getting a stipend and better food and and better housing and safety and security as God's blessing. It was impossible to confuse rituals of religion with God's presence, possessions with God's blessing. He wasn't confused. He didn't see this as God giving him what he deserved He saw that his life was to be spent in faithful servitude to God, that the splendor of religion was gone and yet God was still present. That Jeremiah stood in Jerusalem amongst the rubble and the poverty and whatever remains left and he had God and for him, that was enough. And I wonder how many of us would see our lives as the same. That so often we need the luxuries of earth to confirm our faithfulness. And it was this broken and war-torn town that a mature community of faith could begin to develop. He saw it as an opportunity to start over. That after everything had been stripped away and he had lost it all, he had God. And Jeremiah chose to be where God commanded. He chose to be where God was working. He chose to be right at the epicenter of what God was doing. And in the midst of that, even if it wasn't convenient, Jeremiah chose to be faithful. In reality, Jeremiah chose to trust in God. He chose to trust in God at every front. He never backed down. He never questioned. In fact, if we read scripture uh, back again, we see there wasn't even a contemplation. He was just like, Those are my choices. This is the one I chose. Done. He moved on. That he chose to live every aspect of his life by faith, and there was no applause. There was no being on the winning team, no accolades, no retirement bonus or benefits. There wasn't even like a pat on the back. He gets a little gift from uh, the captain. We don't know what that is, but I can guarantee you he probably sold it or, or gave it away. I would imagine he wouldn't have hung on to it. We don't know. But this would seem like a fair ending. If we're writing the story of Jeremiah's life, if we're, we're filming it, we're bringing in Darren Aronofsky and he's gonna create this beautiful storyline around Jeremiah. We go, okay, here's this tortured, weafy prophet who was given the choice of luxury. Once again, he did the right thing and, and now he's moved into, uh, this hard area and he develops it and the community grows and everything's great. Right? But that's not the way it goes. This tortured, weefy prophet chooses the hard road to rebuild the community and, and looks for ways that God's gonna honor his choice. And in verse, uh, chapter, one, chapter 41, verse one, it says, in the seventh month, Ishmael, son of Nathanael, son of Elishma, of the royal family, and one of the king's chief officers came with 10 men to get Elias, son of Achim, at Mishpan. They ate a meal together there in Mishpah. But then Ishmael, son of Nedathiah, these are not important names, and ten men who were with him got up and struck down Gedaliah, son of Achim, son of Shaphan, with the sword. He killed the one the king of Babylon had appointed in the land. Ishmael also struck down all the Judeans who were there, Gedaliah at Mishpha, as well as the Chaldean soldiers who were there. In context, Jeremiah chooses to go back because of his friend who was doing good work. He had a couple of allies. He had a couple of people that were going to work together to rebuild this city. He gets back, and no sooner does he try to get to work than Gedaliah gets murdered. A bunch of other faithful people get murdered. Others who were lucky enough not to get murdered get thrown into a deep cistern. And this, uh, this, this moment was bleak. This wasn't the turn that we expected this wasn't the plot twist we had hoped for. This isn't going to be the ending that we were wanting for Jeremiah. Not only is he stepping back into hard uh, hardship, but now he's alone again, and it's not the ending that we expect. But a life of faithfulness—it's always supposed to pay off, right? We've been told our whole adult lives that if you're faithful to God, it's always going to pay off. It's always going to be rewarded to us. And if you look at Jeremiah's life, you have to ask: Where's the reward? Where's the payoff? He could have chose it, but he rejected it, and you would think God would have honored that. And instead, things are getting harder for him. Doing the right thing is supposed to come with immediate reward, and yet Jeremiah accepted God's will. Jeremiah accepted the will of the Lord, regardless of what it looked like. He chose to stay in the land, and he trusted that God had a plan. And we can find peace and purpose even in the most challenging circumstances when we accept God's will as well. And in chapter 41, a man named Johanna came with an army of commanders and he ran Ishmael off. Johanna went to Jeremiah for guidance in verse uh, chapter, 20, chapter 42, verse one. Then all the commanders of the armies along with Johanna, son of Korea, there's a bunch of hard names to pronounce, don't, don't put me through that. Verse two, Jeremiah is the prophet and he said, May our petition come before you. Pray to the Lord your God on our behalf and on behalf of the entire remnants for few of us remain out of many as you can see with your own eyes that the Lord your God may tell us the way we should walk and the thing we should do. In context, these men came. They saved Jeremiah from Ishmael. They saved him from being uh, slaughtered. And, and now they're asking, what do, you, what do you think God wants us to do? Where do you think God wants us to go? Now, I don't know if you've ever asked this question, I'm sure you have, God, what do you want for my life? What do you want me to do? Which direction you want me to go? Which job do you want me to take? When we ask this question, nine times out of nine, we know what we want to do, right? We know the decision we want to make, we know the direction we want to go, and more often than not, we want God to confirm that. No different here. These guys are asking for God's guidance, but they want to go to Egypt. Egypt is safe. Egypt is secure. There's plenty of food in Egypt. There's no war in Egypt. Everybody's getting along in this point in time in history. And so they want to go to Egypt, but they need to ask God for guidance. So they're asking Jeremiah, hey, go to the Lord and, 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 and help us decide what to do. In Jeremiah 42:18, it's a summary. It says, for this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says, Jeremiah speaking. Just as my anger and fury were poured out on Jerusalem's residents, so will my fury pour out on you if you go to Egypt. You will become an object of cursing, scorn, excretion, and disgrace, and you will never see this place again. The Lord has spoken concerning you, remnants of Judah, don't go to Egypt. Know for certain that I have warned you today. No ambiguity, no minced words, Very, very clear. Don't go to Egypt. That's what the word of the Lord says. The people remaining wanted so desperately for security. They wanted so badly for God to say, it's okay to leave, go to Egypt. And in our own lives, we so often want God to validate our own selfish desires. We so often want the church and and the scriptures to reinforce our sinful behavior. We so often want God to say, it's okay to be safe and it's okay to want these things. And and yet, over and over, we find that God keeps inviting us to a life of faithfulness, which is most often, but not always, encounter uh, to a life of comfort that God desires more for us, and far too many people choose Egypt instead of living a life of faithfulness. We naturally gravitate towards comfort. We choose the easy route. After all, we deserve it. We create this uh, spiritual argument that we earned it. I need this. And once again, we find God's people are being challenged. And in chapter 43, verse 4, so Johanna Son of Korea and all of the commanders of the armies did not obey the voice of the Lord to stay in the land of Judah. It's that simple. God, I need you to tell me where to go. We'll go here. No thanks. I'm going to go here. They knew clearly, they were warned intently, and they did what they wanted. Instead, Johanna, son of Korea, and all the commanders of the armies took the whole remnant of Judah, those who had returned from all the nations where they had been banished to live in the land of Judah for a while, the men, women, children, king's daughters, and everyone whom uh, Neb, captain of the guard, had allowed to remain And Gedaliah, son of Achim, son of Shaphat, along with Jeremiah, the prophet, uh, and, and that guy, son of that, and they went to the land of Egypt because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. Not only did they not obey the voice of the Lord, but they went far. They're like, we're out. We're out. Once again, people did not listen to Jeremiah. Here, Jeremiah's been through all this stuff, 40 years of faithfulness, 40 years of people disobedience, 40 years of seeing proven, proven in real time prophecies that work out. These, these men, Johan and all these men, they've seen God's faithfulness, they've seen God's consequences and punishment, and they still chose to do their own thing. The hubris of the human condition to think that we know what's best, even when all of the evidence shows otherwise. They did their own thing. They fulfilled their own desires. They asked Jeremiah to pray, but they did whatever they wanted. And Jeremiah's entire ministry was met with people like this, disobedient, wayward, difficult people, Johan left Egypt and he took everybody with him including Jeremiah. So here Jeremiah could have been in Babylon this whole time. I wonder how often he thought about that. Man I could have avoided all of this. I could have just stayed in Babylon and I'd be eating good and yet here I am in the midst of yet more turmoil and while he's being exiled uh, to a land that he was told not to go to the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. It says no longer uh, are you in the promised land and I recognize that but don't worry I know it's not your fault. I know you've been captive. I know that you really want to be here, and so I'm not going to hold this against you. You're still my man. You're still my prophet. Stay faithful. Keep preaching the word of God. And from chapter 44 on, we find Jeremiah calling people back to God, even in Egypt. It doesn't matter where he's at, who's around. He is consistently calling people back to God. He's pointing out judgment. God's judgment. He's pointing, imploring them to repentance. And from chapter 43 to 49, we find that this old man is still just preaching God's word hard. And he's still taking a lot, of, uh, a lot of heat for it. Ridiculed, despised. I mean, for him, he just looks up and goes, well, this is Egypt, Jerusalem, Babylon. It doesn't matter where I'm at. I'm getting the same treatment. He's getting ridiculed, but he's not backing down. He's not remaining unfaithful because Jeremiah remained faithful even in the midst of chaos. Even in the midst of all that's happening, Jeremiah remains faithful. He doesn't stop. There's moments where he could have. He doesn't quit. There's moments he should have, but he does not quit and the book of Jeremiah ends without a clear ending. I don't know about you, but I, I, when I read a novel or I watch a film, like I, I like to try to predict the, the ending or where it's going to go. And, and I love a good film that takes a plot twist. and I didn't see that coming. And, and yet when you watch something, and movies now are like two and three hours long, uh, you find yourself really immersed in the storyline and the characters. And, and you start having a hope for them, right? I really hope he gets the girl. I hope the dog comes home. I hope he you know gets the promotion. I hope he gets the whatever. Like we start projecting our desires onto these characters and books and, and, and movies and, and and we hope that it turns out. And and honestly, there's been many movies I've watched, and I'm like, I hope the, the, the director just gives us a clear ending. I hope it just doesn't leave it ambiguous, the top spinning. I hope we get some kind of resolution. And yet some of the best films leave us wondering, did he get the girl? Did he get the job? Did the dog come home? Like it leaves us to to wonder. Jeremiah is that story. We don't get this clear ending to Jeremiah's life and it's frustrating. And it's why when I begin to write this sermon, I'm like maybe this isn't a sermon because where do we go from here, you know? It's just kind of like we don't know. We don't know what's happening. Uh, But life is ambiguous, right? But faithfulness is not. We want to know that Jeremiah was finally successful. You read and read, like maybe it's in this chapter, maybe it's in this one, maybe it's here. We want Jeremiah to be successful because we want to be successful. We want to see that Jeremiah's faithfulness paid out in a physical way because we want our faithfulness to play out in a physical way. If he lived by faith and it all worked out, then if I live by faith, guess what? It's probably going to work out. And deep down we all have this question, whether we'll admit it or not, we all have this question, is following Christ worth it? Is faithful living worth it? Is living a, a moral lifestyle worth it? And if I could just find someone where I'm like, oh yeah, Jeremiah, there it is, it paid out. It paid, it, we, we did it. Then we'll know and it'll confirm our deepest fears, but we don't get to find out with Jeremiah. What we do know about Jeremiah was that he was in a land he didn't want to be in, forced against his will, faithfully, magnificently, and courageously proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we often want the reward for faithfulness, but I need to tell you today faithfulness is its own reward. A life of faithfulness to God is not an end to another means, it's the end itself. And I could deliver a different message of excitement, but this is the word of the Lord that faithfulness is its own reward. And we all want to read Daniel being saved from the lion's den or Noah getting on the ark, but sometimes we get to places in the scripture where Moses doesn't make the promised land and Samson dies in the temple with the temple. I mean, there are places in scripture where we can go to to feel better, but Jeremiah is not that scripture. Jeremiah is gonna tell us it's gonna be hard and it might get harder, but your faithfulness is its own reward. Jeremiah teaches us that faithfulness to God can and is often very difficult, but we don't see the reward many times until we go to meet God. That we're conditioned to get something for our efforts. I did this, now give me that. Pavlov's theory. We're, we're gonna keep going back, wanting more. And okay, I've done this, now give me this, and this, and give me this, and give me this, and 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 yet faithfulness is its own reward. And I'll be honest, I I, I don't want to stand before God one day and tell him that I just gave it 50, 50%. God, I kind of tried. I prayed a few times, I gave occasionally, I, I showed up when it was convenient. I, I, I tried, I gave it, gave it some effort. I don't want to stand before God and say, "I served you faithfully in eighth grade, and you know maybe again in my 20s, but then I walked away, and you know in my 60s, I came back to you. Like, I want to have a legacy, a, law, a lifelong uh, testimony of faithfulness to God where I made a stand here and now and I served and I was faithful and it didn't matter the consequences, it didn't matter the hard work, it didn't matter what God was inviting us into, but we were faithful and we prayed and we gave and we served and we loved and we watched how God worked through us and our faithfulness was its own reward and it was a testimony to everyone of the goodness of God. I don't wanna stand before God and say I was a pretty decent guy and, and, and I tried. I wanna stand before God and say I gave it everything I had. I did I went all in, 100%. And you and I, we can't do anything about our past. But we can choose from this day forward to live a life of faithful servitude to God, no matter the benefit. Now, many believe that Jeremiah 52, chapter 52 was not authored by Jeremiah. They think it was a retelling of his life's work. And so... If you're curious, you can go read that this week and, and, and look because nearly every verse in 52 is just confirming all the prophecies that Jeremiah had delivered by God. And it's exciting and it's, it's faith building and reading the chapter is a good way to review. The reality was the facts spoke for themselves. Jeremiah was God's man. He was an iron pillar. God used him to do remarkable things, but it cost him a lot. And many scholars and theologians believe that Jeremiah was actually stoned to death. We don't know that to be true. Scriptures don't tell. But many believe that he was tried and found guilty of preaching the truth in Egypt and people didn't want to hear the truth and so they finally stoned him. Regardless of how he died, what we do know is that he lived a life of faithfulness, that he left a legacy of faithfulness behind him, that he stood before God and God undoubtedly said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Can the same be said for us? I can't promise you that you're going to see your faithfulness pay off in real time. But I can with all certainty promise you that if you live a life of faithfulness one day when we meet God, if we've remained faithful, he's going to look at us and say, well done my good and faithful servant. You've served me well. That's my hope for us. But I know the challenge. I know how hard it is. Will we... Rise to meet the challenge today through strength from the Lord, not in our own. Can we choose to be faithful people today? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that your presence is here. And in this moment, a, a moment of brutal honesty, we've got to admit that, that life is hard. Faithfulness is tough, making the right choices doesn't always seem to benefit us in this selfish culture that we live in. And yet God, you've promised to be with us. So God, we admit this morning that some of us, maybe all of us have made the wrong choices from time to time. We admit we've gone the wrong places and done the wrong things, thought the wrong thoughts. We're sinners and thought, we're deed in action, but God, we're repenting in this moment. Repenting where we've treated others unfairly, repenting where we haven't trusted in you wholeheartedly, repenting of allowing our own hubris to get in the way of your will for our lives. So God, we're sorry in this moment, and we're choosing. We're choosing to take up a life of faithfulness to you in thought, word, deed, and action. We're, we aren't just people who hear your word, but we become doers. We hear your warnings and 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 listen for your blessings. And we choose to be people who do what you invite us into so that we may live a life of faithfulness to you, knowing that the ultimate reward for faithfulness is eternity with you. So God, we thank you that we can't do this in our own strength and admitting that is hard, but we're choosing to take up a strength that comes only from you. So that every day we can wake up and choose a life of faithfulness. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.